Welcome to the Expat Empire Podcast, the podcast where you can hear from expats around the world and learn how you can join them. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today for the 24th episode of the Expat Empire Podcast. Before we jump into today's interview, I want to remind you that we're happy to talk with any listeners about their international plans once the pandemic situation has passed. It's never too soon to start planning for your next big life change. Whether you're looking to make your first or your next move abroad, or you're thinking about how you can become a digital nomad, we're ready to help you think about the next steps in your journey. Send us a message at expatempire.com and let us know what you've been daydreaming about over the last year of downtime. On the other hand, if you know someone else who's thinking about moving, send them our way and we'll be happy to send you some money for making the connection. Check out our referral program for more information. With that said, today we will be hearing from Pauline Murrah. Pauline is a French third culture kid who grew up in Ireland and South Africa before moving to Japan and the US for short periods of time. After four years spent again in Ireland for work, she founded the podcast Meet the Expats once back in France interviewing travelers throughout the world to share their unique experiences. Without further ado, let's start the conversation. Hey, Pauline, thanks so much for joining us today on the Expat Empire podcast. Hi, David. Lovely to join. It's great to talk to you and share my experience. First time being on the other side of the mic. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I've also been doing a bit more of that recently myself and know that we just spoke recently for your podcast. So it's exciting to be able to swap our stories and uh, yeah, just... I get an opportunity indeed to change which side of the microphone that we're on. So yeah. for our listeners today, it would be great if you could tell me a little bit about your background, where you're originally from, where around the world you've lived so far and where you live right now. Sure. So I'm French. Uh, you might not hear it, but I am. Right parents are French and I was born in Paris. I stayed two years there that I don't really remember because we moved to Ireland straight away for my dad's mm. job. He always liked Living abroad was in a Schneider Electric, and he got this opportunity to move to Dublin when I was two years old. So off we went. I have no clue how that happened. Don't really recall the whole move or anything. I just followed my parents and spent seven years there. So from the age of two to nine. So that was clearly my first experience abroad without really having notion of this. Went to Irish school straight away, so I was immersed in local local culture and would just go to France for the holidays. So I, I didn't really have experience of living in France. But after those seven years, uh, father got another opportunity to go abroad. And this time it was South Africa. So that was a whole mm-hmm. difference. <laughs> Whole different experience, whole different style. We then came back to France, which is a bit more challenging because this time that was my first time living in France and actually, yeah, experiencing day-to-day life with the French and in a French school. And it's the age of 13 years old. You're becoming a young teen. Everyone's sort of figuring it out. Their personalities are not the easiest time. Mm-hmm. Um, spent one year in Japan, Tokyo with my parents still. So this was my last year of high school. And after that, I took off back to France this time to do my studies. And during my studies, did six months. Well, it wasn't Erasmus because it was outside Europe. I went to the US and North Florida mm-hmm. for an exchange six months internship in London to follow a boyfriend and 
came back to France after to start working, finish my studies, worked in Paris and job came up in Dublin. So I moved back to Dublin mm. um, for a good few years, four and a half. And I came back very recently with COVID unexpectedly. And I'm back in France right now in Angoulême, but uh, moving very shortly back to Paris where I stayed six years when I was working there. Okay, wow. So definitely a lot of ground for us to cover today. (laughs) (laughs) And I think what's interesting about your story and what I'd love to get into is what that experience is like to be able to grow up across multiple countries and to be what I guess is generally called a third culture kid. So in general, do you have any sort of, I guess, general thoughts about what that process was like to live in so many different countries and get sort of mentally prepared for those moves? Or were you kind of being moved around kicking and screaming? Or were you excited (laughs) to jump into the next opportunity? I think it was always a bittersweet move. There was excitement, definitely. But there was also a lot of tears and sadness. You're leaving your friends. Mm. It got better with the years. Um, Obviously, the first move, Ireland's I don't have really any feedback to give. I was way too young. Mm-hmm. But living abroad as a young child, there are perks. I mean, there's definitely advantages and you see it in a lot of TCK kids. I mean, you you have this view of the world. You discover a lot of new people, new cultures. So it just gives you this open mind and you don't have this fear of the stranger of the foreigner you tend to just connect with those people and be curious have no yeah you start talking to people with a less without judging really and just trying to understand where mm-hmm. they come from and how they think and what their habits are culture are um you get to taste a lot of different foods and i think my parents having traveled before i was even born and then me traveling with them and living abroad, I feel like I tasted so many different foods when I was a kid. My parents had lived mm-hmm. in Japan before uh, we went back together this time. And as long as I can remember, I've always loved sushi, raw fish. I was probably five years old and already eating <laughs> raw fish and that was fine. So there is this open-mindedness to everything that surrounds you, I think. There's a great advantage around language. I mean, I was put into an English-speaking school when I was two years old, so I just caught up with the language straight away. I was learning French and English at the same time, to mm. a point where my mom suddenly realized, I have to give my daughter French lessons because mm. it's starting to speak French with the English structure of a sentence. Ah. So after school for a couple of years, my mom would actually give me French lessons through this was correspondence classes. So we were already <laughs> distance classes <laughs> already at the time back right. in <laughs> back in the nineties. <laughs> so you'd send your papers back over to the organization, they would correct it, send it back to you, and it was a bit of back and forth. But my mom would sort of play the teacher after school for a couple of hours every day. But then it means I learned English straight away and I was fluent in both English and French. Mm which is great. And I regret today not having pushed myself to learn different language instead of going to the US for my Erasmus. Maybe I should have gone to Germany <laughs> and actually learned a new language. And we're getting this 15 years later. Right. That might have been a bit lazy on that side. but <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, also just such a totally different culture, right? I mean, of course, as you go between well, any of the countries that you mentioned, frankly, I mean, quite different cultures yes. 
typically different languages, but I can imagine going from, for example, Europe and to the United States for a short period of time at that age range will just give you, I mean, just a totally different experience than you could expect within Erasmus and the EU, for example. Yeah. So yeah, how was that in terms of that stark difference? Or even, of course, then you'd also been to Japan, like you mentioned. So, you know, having been there myself, I'm just curious how it was to jump into something that was so completely different. You weren't just going around sort of the typical hotspots and right. main places in Europe, right? So Yeah, I was actually living there, so it made things very different. When I was moving with my parents, meaning I was still in school, the big difference for me with the big move, so the first one from Ireland to South Africa, and then there was the one from France to Japan. The big move mm-hmm. from Ireland to South Africa for me was, okay, well, one, you're moving continent, you're going to a place that's completely unknown to a nine-year-old where you have no clue where you're moving, I thought I was going to the Savannah when Johannesburg is mm. <laughs> city. So there's a piece of unknown and what yeah, your imagination sort of builds up as a kid. And then the big difference was it was my first time going to a French school also when I was in Johannesburg. So meeting with a lot more French kids, although that school was extremely international. I mean, there were 80 nationalities in that French school. So it was really connecting wow. with kids that are from all over the world, a lot of TCK kids, a lot of children with diplomat parents, but also some from the military and kids like me, myself, who, while their parents were in a specific industry that made the move or parents were teachers. But there was this big mix around some were French, Belgium, some from Africa. Being on the African continent, you're confronted with things that you've never thought of, like we were there from 96 to 2000. And at some point, we have four or five kids join our school in the middle of the school year. And they had had to flee what was Republic of Congo because Kinshasa was under siege and there was a civil war going on. Hmm. And so all these kids were suddenly, the families were suddenly fleeing the country and coming to Johannesburg and putting their kids in school. And you suddenly realize, what world am I living in? I never thought there would be a war not far from me where I'd meet people who had to to flee that. Then there's also right. the whole way of life in South Africa that's completely different where all the houses are huge because there's space. Everyone has a pool. <laughs> so you come into this completely different world where you live outside. Everyone has a pool, maybe a jacuzzi. Everyone has a maid and a gardener. Mm-hmm. And your way of life completely changes from one day to another. And you're confronted with racism also of understanding mm. what apartheid is. It had just ended a few years ago but it was still very very present and you could see different things like small situations where there's obviously a safety safety problem every house is surrounded by three meter high walls and there's spikes on those walls or electric fences or something and sort of security packages you get a guard dog so we got a german oh wow well, yeah, we got a German Shepherd puppy yeah. that became a German Shepherd's large dog. <laughs> um, <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so your life was very different from what you'd experienced up until that point, right? Yeah, Ireland is really a safe bubble. And then you move to yeah. South Africa where they tell you, well, you don't walk out on the street. And whenever you take the car, the 
doors lock automatically and if you see something mm-hmm. fishy just go around the block five times but if you think you're followed don't go home and there's a security measures you just learn to live with them but it is very different i was lucky enough that i was still quite young and wasn't in that need of independence so i want to go hang out with my friends at the mall or go to a club but my parents did have friends who had children in that age so the parents would actually drop their kids off at a club and come and get them outside the club at 4 a.m in the car because they couldn't be left alone or they couldn't wait right. for to have alone or something like that wow <laughs> this is almost like hard just hard for me to even imagine uh, i think one of the key things was definitely adapting there's this piece where as a kid but even when you get older it's the same thing you just have to adapt to their surroundings you're in and start to understand a little bit the codes of how people work and right just right adjust to that and as you're a kid you're a bit more flexible i guess it and you ask yourself less questions of should i be doing this not doing this and you just go for it a lot more than when you grow older and you start to put a little bit more barriers around yourself Hmm. just to put it bluntly it's really hard for me to imagine growing up in that environment i mean on the one hand i have this feeling that i wish that my parents had given us more international opportunities when we grew up i mean we were able to travel and for what we were able to do, I'm really thankful, but there is this idea in my head of if I were able to have grown up in that, in let's say a foreign country or multiple foreign countries, as I've seen other expats, you know, in my workplace and things like that, be able to do with their children that just to me, I would have just been over the moon, I guess, at (laughs) least I think that I would have as a kid. Yeah. But now you've obviously seen some great, you know, stuff and some very challenging things and, things that you've had to grapple with and deal with, not just from a security perspective, but from a cultural adaptation point of view. So yeah, how do you feel like that's changed you and put you on the path ultimately that led you down to where you are today? I think it's definitely helped me adapt, like definitely adapt. Resilience Mm -hmm. is a big part. The most challenging was definitely when I left South Africa and moved back to France, as for me, it was my first time actually living in France. Um, Mm. We moved to a small town, which makes it even more difficult, Angoulême, which is on the west side of, of, um, of France. And coming from South Africa, there were so many different parameters of, one, I moved in the middle of a school year. Second, you're changing hemispheres. So I came from summer into blunt winter <laughs> it's a small thing mm-hmm. but right. which also makes raises questions from the kids so i was 13 at that age from the kids in this school so for context these are people who had always lived in this city never moved traveled probably quite a lot uh, it was a private school um so pretty wealthy wealthy kids but they had all known each other since they were two or five years old so it's mm. all this thing about suddenly you have this stranger come in that's tan. So that was a big question. It's like, where are you from? You're tan. So it's like, I'm coming from summer. That's why they have no clue where South Africa is, which is quite an right. example when you're 13 and haven't lived abroad. But then I was also surprised because I had been in such an environment where all the kids had moved all, all the time that I was some sometimes answering a bit bluntly also but there was just this miscommunication where we didn't Mm. understand where we were coming from and coming to this place where the fashion is completely different and when you're 13 you have to find your 
mm. sort of tribe between the nerdies, the smart people, the cool kids. And it's all about trying right. to find where you fit in, how you are. And I, it took me a lot of time. Today, they are probably my best friends, but it took a good year and a half to actually make my whole, find my tribe and understand them and they understand me and us being able to really connect and move forward. But yeah, there was definitely a whole lot of adjusting on understanding the different groups, what were sort of the social activities and even small things in school, like the times were very different. In France, you go to school from 8 to 4 to 5 p.m. In South Africa, Mm -hmm. as it's warm and hot, you usually do 8 to 2 p.m. And then you have activities every day of the week and in France it's only Wednesday you have a half day off and that's when you do your activity so the whole rhythm was different the classes were a lot bigger music classes in France like the traditional thing is you learn to play this stupid plastic flute in South Africa you're learning (laughs) to play djembe so how cool is that and then you come to class and everyone's spitting in their flute it becomes a bit right right (laughs) a bit boring you wonder where you've landed (laughs) even on another level it's like maybe that's the more i don't know how you put this but industrialized western world uh kind of mentality or image of the school experience and you're like no no i want to go back to that (laughs) (laughs) where we played jenvi and we learned the south african national anthem and stuff like that (laughs) right right at first i definitely felt like i didn't fit in because it just Mm -hmm. wasn't finding necessarily connecting with the kids with we had different activities and it took time but i got there and i'm definitely happy i found them but it was also coming back to a small city and people looking at you not understanding where you come from and why you're here and why you're in such a small city and we were in this tiny town and <laughs> even my mom said uh, all our neighbors we were a bit in the countryside and my mom was saying all our neighbors look at me very strangely because i speak english to the dog because we <laughs> the dog and raised the dog in south africa so <laughs> who's this right. french lady speaking english to her dog <laughs> mm. You really were in totally, let's say, a different cultural environment, even though that was the country that you were born in. Yes. That was your native tongue originally, right? It was my native tongue, and I had been to a French school, but international French school, which is Hmm. very different to local small French school in a small town. Did you have any issues with the language? Because as you mentioned before, your mom was kind of helping or getting you into classes or whatnot for your French. Did you find that there were some challenges with the language and, or even they're like, oh, you have maybe a weird accent or something like that? No, no, not at all. Because those French classes were actually very, very good. And I did go to French school in South Africa. So no issue whatsoever on the French side. And I always speak French at home. So there was never Mm -hmm. an accent uh, thing. It's more when my English accent was very Irish. Um, it still is. And so sometimes people wouldn't necessarily understand when I was speaking English because of that, right, that right. accent. But on the French side, no. And how did your family decide whether to go with a more international school environment versus a local school? I don't know how much of that decision was up to them or, of course, what the company provided and things like that. But it'd be interesting to, to know more about that. So that was uh, mainly up to them. 
in Ireland, they decided to go to a local school because they had done the research around the French school. There is one in Dublin, but the level wasn't very good. So mm. they decided on a local, I think it's a private school that was very good. I mean, we actually learned to read in English sooner than French kids. I learned to read in English before I learned to read in French, for example. Wow. And then in South Africa, the French school was quite good. And they thought it was time I went to a French school if I wanted to, in the future, to be able to go back to France and actually understand sort of the system and be in phase with the local French system. Hmm. And as you went to Tokyo, then that was your last year of high school. Is that right? Yes, that was my last year of high school. So I had the choice there. My parents asked me if I wanted to go with them, knowing that it would probably only be one year for myself or if I wanted to stay in France and we could arrange housing at a friend's place or, or something. So I decided to go thinking this is a one-time thing for me, right, Japan. Right. I'm probably never going to go on my own or just on travels, so I might as well go. Um, I don't regret it at all, but it was pretty intense because the high school there was much smaller. So in the last year in France, you choose if you go to science, on the science way, literature or economics, just for the last mm. two years. And on that year, we were only eight kids per class. So wow, <laughs> you sort of see it if you're not following it, <laughs> not following class. And it was pretty intense with four-hour exams every Saturday morning. So it was pretty tough. The level was definitely higher than what I had in France, and I had a bit of catching up to do on my side. And upon arrival there, so didn't get to travel as much as I wanted. Also, given that half of my weekend was spent on exams mm -hmm. <laughs> very very often but definitely yeah there was no question about arriving at that level about me going to a different school than the French one I mean it just made sense to to finish off and graduate in that high school then I for years I sort of knew that I wanted to go to business school so I just made sense mm. to follow the typical French route and enter a prep school and then do a business school in France. Right, right. How did you decide on business, by the way? I don't know. I think it's had sort of been in my mind for quite a few years. Mm. There's probably a piece where both my grandfather and my father and my uncle, all of them had gone through business school. And mm. I think there was this side where, oh, I can have an international career because I'd always grown up in a family where I'd seen my father move abroad for work. Right. You were thinking that maybe that would be a way to leverage your career into similar opportunities to go abroad to maybe other countries again? I'd say so. Mm -hmm. But then again, when you're you're choosing that when you're 17, I don't think I really had to yeah. do what I wanted to do in my, in my life yet. <laughs> and it's just, right. Business school sounded, sounded like a good thing. <laughs> were you kind of glad to wrap up your time there in Japan as far as you know, did you have any interest ultimately in trying to make that a longer experience or take a gap year or anything like that? I mean, whether that was in Japan or elsewhere, yeah. but just it sounds like you were kind of ready to get back into the groove and do your university studies. Yeah, I don't think it ever crossed my mind to say I'm going to do a gap hmm. year now. I had sort of seen, sort of knew this is what I want to do. So I had, I 
didn't have this thing in mind, oh, I need to take a gap year to think about my future. I sort of knew where I wanted to be, go. And Paris seems exciting. Mm -hmm. All of my friends were moving to Paris also after high school, both from France and Japan. So I knew I wasn't going to be completely alone. And I never really saw myself wanting to live again in Japan. I enjoyed it. I loved it. But I never told myself, oh, I want to come back and actually settle in Japan or work here. I think there is a piece where I know work can be tough in japan like long hours mm-hmm. so you don't necessarily counter hours for a woman it's a bit tougher there is a very right. society in place sure so it might be even more difficult and i don't speak japanese i didn't have time to actually learn any of it like i know it's called sentences but that's about it right right and then when you were in university then you took the opportunity as we talked about before to Go for, I think, a semester to the United States. Yes. Florida, right? Right. Yeah, it was North Florida. How did you find that? (laughs) It was fun. For me, it was my first time in the US. I never set foot there Mm. yet. And it was fun to see campus life and see if it was sort of like in the movies because my image of the US, (laughs) well, yeah, most of my image from the US is, is from movies at that age. I had never set foot there, but all the TV shows that you watch are made in the US. And so it was fun to see campus life, see that, yeah, their cheerleading is a big thing. Football is a big thing. And understand that, okay, what I see is sort of more or less true. Get a grasp of the teaching techniques are very different. Uh, In France, it's very much Mm. lectures and you, yeah, teacher talks, you might do a couple of exercises here and there. And in the US, I find that you're supposed to come into class more having read the chapter before and it's more of an open discussion during class. I find that very different. Hmm. Then I wouldn't say I was really enthusiastic about most of my classes. There was some I, I took a, an intern, I think it was multicultural management class, which was just ridiculous where I think for four <laughs> or five classes, she made us learn the different countries in the world. Very multicultural. Yeah, (laughs) there were four exams around, well, naming the right countries on a map. I guess you were, you had a leg up on that one. (laughs) Yeah, I find it a bit sad to do that in a college degree. (laughs) Yeah. How did you decide on the US and Florida for that matter? I mean, not that there's anything specifically good or bad, but I just find that to be (laughs) such an interesting spot for you to pick given your varied multicultural background. So it wasn't my first choice, actually. Mm -hmm. My first choice was Seoul in South Korea. Second choice was North Florida. And I can't remember what the third choice was. Uh, There was a bit of a strategic thing where there weren't necessarily many open spots in the different countries. And then it's you get allocated depending on your ranking. Mm. I was also dating a guy that was going to do his Erasmus in the US. So there was also a little bit of that where we weren't targeting the same cities, but at least we knew we could do it uh, trips and meet up on weekends. So that was sort of part of it. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, that makes sense. Great. And then you wrapped up your university in France and then you started working in France before you moved to Dublin, right? Yes. I worked for mm. five years in Paris before I moved to mm. Dublin. Yes. And that was a bit of 
it sort of came up. It wasn't necessarily planned. I was happy in Paris. Mm. I did have a little bit of the travel itch. But I think part of it was I wanted to prove myself that I could move abroad without on my own. So without right. the comfort right. of moving with my parents and without the comfort of moving through Erasmus where most of it is organized and you're only there six months, you have a housing and that's it. That was in my mind, but I wasn't proactively looking around that. It was just in my mind. I was trying to change jobs. I was a salesperson in a uh, training company and wanted to switch industries to get closer to marketing and the whole digital marketing side of things. And in France, well, you're very often copy-pasted from one role to the other. HRs aren't necessarily very open-minded. The ones that come to you say, I have an amazing job. It's a salesperson in a training company. But that's exactly what I'm doing. I want to change. Um, So I wasn't, it just, things weren't moving. And Mm -hmm. I start looking at a position at IBM. I had met someone uh, just a few weeks before who was working at IBM and said there were a lot of opportunities. So I go to the career page, find a job that I could be a fit for. And it was in the list of jobs in Paris. But when you opened the description, it said it's actually based in Dublin. So well, what the hell? I'll just apply anyway and see what happens. And that's the job I landed. So... <laughs> Nice. There you go. I was back in Dublin, and one of my best friends had moved to Dublin six months before. Best friends from my high school days in France, so mm. <laughs> one mm. of those that I kept. Perfect. Yeah. So it was a bit of a no-brainer. I mean, it's a big company. It was a good career change, and it was the opportunity to prove myself that I can move. There was a bit of a comfort side where I had friends from France there. I had also lived there a long time ago, so I could find other connections that I knew. It was close to France, so I could go back to back and forth with Paris. It's one and a half hour flight, so it's pretty easy. I know this is a difficult question because it's difficult when I get asked this as well, but I'm just wondering with all your varied experiences and let's say multiple parts of your life in Ireland and in France, for example, do you have a certain place that you tend to think of currently as home or is it just up in the air and wherever you happen to be at that time no it's I think it's Paris for me I moved back to Dublin saying okay well this is going to be fun this is going to be a good experience but in my head it's going to be two years it ended Mm -hmm. up being four and a half but that's the thing is the first two years, I was still in a long-distance relationship with a guy in mm-hmm. Paris, so I was going back and forth very often. And I was traveling a lot also throughout Europe because there's amazing Ryanair is from Ireland and in the Dublin oh, airport, yeah. which is very accessible. So I, I was traveling probably two to three weekends a month. So I was barely in Dublin <laughs> on weekends, mm-hmm. meaning I never really settled. And then the following two years... And as I had done those two years I had planned in my head, I was actually starting to look for jobs in France. So in my head, it was, I'm going to move back, I'm going to move back. And I never really completely settled Mm. in Ireland, although I made incredible friends and I loved my time there, but I was getting to that place where I knew it wasn't for me. There were too many things where it just didn't match what the type of life that I wanted. Mm. Do you find it interesting that the place that ends up being the one for you, I guess perhaps Paris at this stage, is, you know, in your home country, let's say? I mean, given your broad 
travels and experiences internationally. I've, I just find that to be a bit, I don't know, interesting. <laughs> Curious if you found the same or. <laughs> I never asked myself that question, actually. It's funny, but I've always considered myself, a, I'm French and I like France, although there are things that really annoy me in France, but wherever I go, it's going to be the same. There are things I'm going to be things that I'm going to love in that country and things that are really going to annoy me. And it's all about finding mm-hmm. that balance of, well, where do I feel where all the positive things overcome the negative things? Yeah, I agree. I, I think there is this idea, this idealistic vision of the perfect country or city yeah. or place for people. And the more that you travel and especially live in places, the more you realize that every place has its cons. You know, yeah. there's always pros and there's always cons. And you have to always going to be comparing. Mm-hmm. There's right. always a piece where you're going to be comparing a country to another. And so what I try to do is keep the best of each world and whatever I can bring to a different country, maybe maybe a habit or a type, maybe a dish that I can cook or whatever. I try to keep those little things. Mm-hmm. And so, as you mentioned at the outset of our discussion, so COVID brought you back to France now, is that right? Yes. I had started looking for jobs in France, but I actually loved my job in Lebanon. Um, I was very happy there, but I knew I was never going to be able to move back to France with it because they didn't have offices in France and that was never going to be happening. And well, in... Early March, we started being work from home and lockdowns were starting here and there. Dublin, you have to know that most people live in a house share. I was house sharing so three people. When the three of you start working from home, it tends to be a little bit complicated. We were on each other's mm-hmm. toes. So I just said, I'm going to take a flight back to my parents. It's just going to be way more comfortable. And it's a time where, uncertain time where I sort of want to be close to family. Mm-hmm. So I packed up a cabin bag, took my laptop and said, hey, guys, bye guys, I'll see you in two months. Flew back. And two weeks later, half of my company was laid off and me included. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> It happened. <laughs> oh, well, it happens. And that's when I decided, well, I wanted to move back to France. So now's the time. I'm just not going to move back to Dublin. I'm just going to, mm. now that I don't have a job, there's nothing holding me in Dublin. It's time to look for a job in Paris. Here we go. And I was thinking, well, I'll go back to Dublin to pack my stuff in May. And then May, there's still a lockdown. And then Dublin has, still has this two weeks isolation when you fly in. It hasn't stopped at all. So I just never flew back. And my friends just packed my boxes for me. Mm, wow. So it, it seems like kind of an abrupt end. Of course, yeah. in this situation, there's not so much that you can do about it. But It is an it abrupt end. I'm happy at least I had a sort of mini goodbye drink before I flew off with my best friends because we didn't know when we'd see each other again. And it's a good thing I did it, but I didn't get the real goodbye party I was expecting with the Guinness and in a pub. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to do that someday. I, I have to go to a wedding in July in Dublin. Hopefully that one holds and we can actually fly back at that time and yeah, have a good yeah, opportunity absolutely. to do uh, my real goodbyes. Nice, nice. So how do you feel about uh, the opportunities around the world now? So, of course, it sounds like you're planning to stay in France for the time being, but yeah. do you still have that deep-seated wanderlust? Or do you feel like after this many years and this many moves that you're kind of like, okay, I've done it myself, I've done it with a family, I've done it myself, I've seen all parts of the world, maybe I'm good here for a while. Like, what's your feeling on it? I feel like I want to settle down a little bit, be back in Paris, but 
I know that nothing ever goes up plans, as plans. Yes. So um, <laughs> we'll see. Uh, the travel bug might come back to me. The we'll. I don't know. I really don't know at the moment. I want to, yeah, get back to Paris a little bit. I have my flat there. Just live alone. Be back in my environment. Reconnect with my friends a lot more. But then again, with the whole COVID situation and then the fact that you can be in Paris right now, but there's no point in being there because there's no culture, there's no restaurants, there's mm-hmm. no bars. So the whole point of living in Paris is is just not there. We'll see. We'll see how things evolve, and if I do settle there for a long time or just decide to move again either somewhere else in france either completely abroad i have the chance that Mm -hmm. the job i'm starting is open on remote working so Mm, starting with a french contract but if i want to move later i can move later there's no issue there so at least i have that flexibility that i need (laughs) yeah absolutely i mean whether that is working from home or working from another city in the same country or being able to be totally abroad is is amazing Did you see that in many of the positions that you applied for? Do you think that this is one of those trends that will stay? Or do you think it's kind of the flavor of the month and given this COVID situation, just kind of driven out of that necessity? This is the only company I saw that does full remote where you actually choose mm-hmm. the country of your contracts. A lot of others say that they're going to be flexible with work from home, um, but you don't know to which extent in advance and they don't give you that as much flexibility as the fully remote one where you couldn't work from any city in the world in the end do you have any countries on your list for it would be great if i had the opportunity to live in you know x y or z country that are still out there maybe not in the near future but in the back of your mind somewhere to live i don't know because uh in a lot of travels, I go around the city and said, oh, I could see myself living here. Um, but then mm-hmm. when I actually do it, it's a whole different story. Right. I do like Lisbon, and I think it is a city where I could see myself settle uh, mm-hmm. a little bit. Then if I look really on the practical side where I know a bit of German and I'm trying to learn Italian, I guess living a little bit in Italy or, well, I like the sound of it. Yeah. Italy a lot more, even though Germany is probably a bit more safer on the economical side of things. Mm-hmm. Right, right. What kind of work did you ultimately find yourself getting more yeah, abroad as you've developed your career? So I used to work in sales. I started my career in sales in Paris and moved to IBM uh, still on the sales side, but ended mm-hmm. up being able finally to move more into marketing. I work at, at Adderall, mm-hmm. which is an ad tech company in Dublin, San Francisco based, but they have an office in Dublin. So I stayed there three years first on the customer success side and then moved to events marketing. So obviously events uh, took, a <laughs> took a big toll during right. COVID. Right, right, <laughs> right. I want to stay sort of in the tech side in marketing. So I'm still in marketing on, um, in a tech company right now, well, starting next month. Do you have any advice for others that are looking to try to move their careers abroad or, you know, just take advantage of some of these, hopefully here to say, stay remote working opportunities? I think more and more companies are doing remote Then it just depends on the country. Dublin, if you work in sales and you want to be in tech, Dublin is great i mean they're all there it's a mini bay area with 
Facebook, Twitter, Google, Zendesk, Core is opening. TikTok is hiring like crazy there. So if you want to be in ad tech, Dublin is definitely the space space to go. They hire like crazy on the sales and account management side, uh, work on referrals. So you just add people on LinkedIn and they'll be thrilled to refer you into the company. <laughs> if you speak a second language, that's a huge advantage because they usually hire for the different European countries. So headquarters mm-hmm. would be European headquarters would be based in Dublin and they'd be serving Spain, Italy, Germany and France from there. So very international teams and easier to to get in on the sales side. LinkedIn is definitely a good place to start searching for a job, at least in Dublin. In France, it's a bit more difficult, especially if you don't speak French. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're a bit more traditional on that side. <laughs> right, right. That's what I've heard as well. Yeah. Do you have any advice for, let's say, future TCK parents that might be listening on this podcast about basically on your experience growing up as a third culture kid, how they could maybe just based on your experience and with your parents' experience, I guess, um, maybe what they could do to best set their children up for success if they're having to move between countries multiple times, different languages, different environments, things like that. I think you're not damaging in a way your your children. Um, It's definitely a great experience for them. Um, There's not much to be afraid of but communication is definitely going to be key with your children of how you bring it up and really take the time to sit down with them and explain why and how things are going to happen and try to put out information from your child to let your kid just express yourself to understand what may be the blockers or what may be bothering them this is something that i talked about on my podcast I had Emily who has had two children abroad and is now more of a coach for expat parents and Mm. I thought it great how she was talking about how she took her brought a new move up to her children where she was saying well we sat the children down and we played the emotions game so everyone went around the table and gave one thing they were excited about and one thing they uh, were sad about and the parents jumped in also and I think it it brings a lot to the child to see that the parents are going through the same challenges Mm. and interrogations that you are and that it's not all pink for your parents. And I think that's something I might have lacked uh, where my parents sort of, okay, tell me we're leaving. Uh, I had to deal with, oh my God, I'm not going to see my friends and I have to move. And well, once you start your first day of school, actually, you just make a ton of friends and everything's fine. But I also wasn't seeing how it was also maybe challenging for my parents. I realized that Mm. a lot later talking with my mother, like years and years uh, later, but just understanding that, okay, it's going to be bittersweet, not only for you as a child, but also for your parents. And it's okay that some things are going to be good and some things are going to be sad. Yeah, I think this is great advice. And just being really, as you said, open the communication, open with your feelings, your emotions, and ultimately you're going through it together as a family. So I think that's a great thing to keep in mind for folks that are having those considerations or going through some of those challenges now. Yeah. And don't be afraid about bringing your kids abroad. I've heard loads of parents saying, oh, I wish I had moved when I was single and with no child. Now it's too late. And so mm-hmm. like, I think I turned out fine. So I'm sure you can move <laughs> with your kids. It'll be okay. It's definitely more preparation and work on your side but it 
definitely brings a lot also to the child who's going to have a lot of resilience, going to be a bit more open-minded. and Yeah, that's what's been also amazing about some of the consulting work that I've done and the people I've been speaking to is just seeing that it's really at people from all stages of their life and their experience of all ages, whether it's people that are just going into university or just coming out of university, they're interested in trying to start their careers abroad or people mid-career trying to make a move maybe with themselves or with a significant other or spouse. And then people with you know kids in their, let's say, 40s and 50s. And then thinking about the next stages as far as retirement and 60s and 70s and up. And it's never too late, I guess, is the point that I'm trying to make. (laughs) Yeah, it's never too late. And you know that the challenges are going to be different. And what I've heard often and that I do understand is some people saying, well, I'm in my 40s. I wouldn't mind moving abroad again, but I don't want to do it alone and have to build my whole social circle alone and be Mm -hmm. my own family. If I'm in a relationship, in a strong relationship, uh, Moving with a partner, yes, I would definitely do. But starting that whole social life completely alone at uh, your time, I wouldn't do. And I sort of understand that also. Yeah, that is definitely fair. Mm-hmm. You realize, as I think most of us have, that after those early college days, <laughs> it's a lot harder to build that set of relationships, especially if you're not in, in the sort of traditional workforce working for somebody else yeah. with colleagues. and. Yeah, because you meet less people, it's it's harder that way, definitely. Did you find that as you were growing up across so many cultures and countries that it was maybe difficult, more difficult, or perhaps easier for you to develop your identity in the midst of all of that? I guess there are a lot of forces and <laughs> a lot of experiences that you know, went into play into who you are and, and what your identity is, but I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. It definitely did shape my identity, but I think I, I was... A bit of a shy kid growing up, but I think that changed a lot with my different experiences. But later on, maybe, yeah, once I started working, I think that mm-hmm. started to change. And the last experience in Dublin definitely helped, partly because I was probably older and a bit more mature and knew a little bit more what I wanted myself and had self-reflected a little bit more on well this is what I like and this is what so I should be doing more of what I like and not necessarily thinking about what others think I should be doing or what others think is acceptable or Mm -hmm. just concentrating a bit more on myself rather than what others people think yeah I think that's a good position to have and as you change cultures and friend circles and everything so frequently I can also imagine that what is normal is also you know dependent on your surroundings right exactly yeah and it's accepting that of well I don't necessarily want to completely fit in I'll play around to be able to make friends but if I don't feel it I won't necessarily push it a lot more right Awesome. Well, thank you so much for telling us your story today and sharing your insights. How can our listeners find out more about you and what you're up to? Well, thanks for having me. Uh, They can definitely follow me on Instagram at meetthexpats. But I have my own podcast about interviewing expats. I'm going to be talking a little bit about my life in Paris. And by email, meetthexpats, all attached at gmail.com. Awesome. Well, I'll definitely put links to that in the show notes. And thank you again for all of your insights and great stories. Look forward to keeping in touch and wish you all the best in Paris. Well, thank you. And you too. It's great being on your show and talking about this.
Thanks to Pauline for sharing her story with us. You can find the full transcript for this episode at expatempire.com. Music on this episode was produced by Eli Hermit. Please check him out on Bandcamp and Spotify. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a minute and give us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It helps new listeners find us and lets us know that we are putting out content that you appreciate. You can quickly find out where and how to rate us at ratethispodcast.com slash expatempire. If you know anyone who might enjoy this podcast, please tell them about it so that we can continue growing the global expat empire community. Keep up to date on new Expat Empire podcast episodes by pressing the subscribe button in the podcasting app of your choice. You can also visit expatempire.com and sign up for the newsletter to get our free ebook, Top 10 Tips for Moving Abroad, right now. We are also on Facebook and Instagram at Expat Empire, so be sure to follow us there. We're currently offering a free 30-minute consulting call to discuss your moving plans and how Expat Empire can help you to achieve them. Please visit our website to schedule your call today. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode in the coming weeks.